0: You are listening to the Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we're at Peñas Blancas.
1: Hello, buenas tardes from La Vuelta a España, my name is Daniel Freeba. I am the host of tonight's episode and as you heard our friend Rob Hatch just say, I am on the Peñas Blancas and I'm currently overlooking... Well, we we established yesterday that it's not the Mediterranean. Um, I'm looking out over, I can just about see Estepona high up, just adjacent to the finish line in a pine forest that has been singed, unfortunately, by some forest fires recently. I was hoping to grab Luis Angel Mate, the regional of the Etap, who we spoke to yesterday about the reforestation effort here. Didn't manage to do that, but I am, fortunately, joined by... From La Masana in Andorra, it's the two-time Vuelta a España stage winner, two-time Tour de France stage winner, Giro d'Italia stage winner, age winner, Lombardia winner, soon to be acclaimed author, cycling's most decorated podcaster, panda chaser, and flood survivor. It's Dan Martin. Dan Martin. Dan, you have survived the flood. Just tell us about that, because for those who weren't listening, um, our podcast on Saturday, I think it was, was interrupted by what can only be described as a natural disaster.
2: What happened, Dan? When we were recording, I was a little bit worried about the the thunder and the hailstones on the window, and been picking up over the microphone. And
1: we did get a few questions about recording in a shower in the shower studio, but that was it, the the, the um, well the drama was only beginning then, wasn't it? It escalated well, rapidly. It Turns out
2: we had just over we had about two and a half inches of rain in thirty minutes, which is enough to uh, it's a months worth of rain in in areas of the uk actually so it's uh it's actually not normal and yeah it just overwhelmed the drainage system here and uh house bared the brunt of it so but luckily we, well my wife burst in and said look you really need to finish the podcast and get off it and that was about five minutes before we finished recording because i obviously underestimated the severity of the, <laughs> the situation and uh went downstairs to be greeted by about four inches of water in my basement so yeah it was uh a little bit nerve wracking because at that point it was still raining and yeah, obviously the last yesterday as well there was tennis ball sized hailstones in near Barcelona, so the weather's all a bit messed up and it just it does make you think what would happen if the stage Finishing Andorra that day under that under that rain or or under the hailstones, you know. But
1: we've had that in Andorra. There was a time, wasn't there, Dan? And you were there. In fact, I remember you being next to the finish line. Everyone was sort of corralled into a makeshift shelter beside the finish line. There was a downpour um, just a few minutes before the finish. I think Tom Dumoulin might have won that day. Do you remember yeah. that, Dan? Yeah, good memory. Yeah.
2: We actually, it's not. We're not averse to a good old storm here, but it's uh, yeah. We actually got changed at the NBC studio in the back room (laughs) that day (laughs) this was really uh quite quite severe so but everything's fine no not much damage just what was supposed to be a relaxed sunday spent mopping up and cleaning with a bunch of friends so but it was uh yeah all good now it's sunny so hopefully no more interruptions today the
1: glamorous retirement of a former monument winner. Dan, before we go on, because I will forget, I promise I will forget later in the episode, we don't talk about it now. I don't think we've spoken about your book yet. I mentioned it in your intro. Just give us an update. When's it coming and what's in it?
2: Thirteenth of October, releasing my, my autobiography. Uh been a lot of hard work. I think I've spent more I think yes it's Quite fair to say I spent more effort on this than the majority of cyclists when they write their books because I've been heavy, very, very oh, heavily involved. Oh, I wouldn't say
1: that. On, hang on, hang on, uh, hang on. I've been involved with a couple of books, but anyway, go on, you're the guest. I can say that you because that. I've,
2: uh, Cyclists, I said, not the actual writing of the book. I've got quite a good memory and managed to go into really quite some detail into 15 years of my career, more than that, actually, 17 years if you go back. Uh, into my amateur years and then obviously some insights into my my childhood and I think compared to the most cycling books most autobiographies it does there is a lot more time spent discussing my formative years rather than just victories because I don't think that's what cycling is about it's about what makes you the cyclist you are and uh we made quite a big effort to actually instead of talking about what a cyclist you are it's how how you became that cyclist and what psychological makeup of a cyclist and the and the thought process
1: are you nervous Dan about it coming out
2: books being released
1: that process is always fraught with anxiety um I can tell you um what it generally is are you nervous
2: yeah obviously reception is always going to be interesting and you don't know how people are going to take things as well because I've talked about a lot of people in my book. Obviously, it's it's inevitable, but I don't have any negative vibes against anybody because it's just things that happened. I'm stating facts, and it's not, it's not in a negative aspect. It's just, yeah, opening, opening the door to the life of a pro cyclist. Basically, it's exciting. I mean, it's uh, I'm not I'm not really sure what to think. I mean, it's it is quite daunting, opening up so much to the public eye because. I think generally speaking, you do keep a lot of stuff and you you have to keep a lot of stuff behind closed doors when you're riding because it's always seen as a weakness. And just, I mean, I saw it firsthand last year. It's one of the things I do talk about is fear. And you're not allowed to be, say that you're scared being a cyclist or say that it, that was a scary downhill because then suddenly it's, you have all these comments about, oh, you should, stop, you should retire then or whatever. And it's like, well, not really, because I think everybody is a human... Sh- is scared at some point and it's actually quite brave to actually acknowledge that
1: well dan without further ado we're going to test your powers of recall and summarization by getting on with today's
0: El resumen del
1: día a contra del on. the stage summary time trial now, Dan, you have fared very well in this little challenge so far. So, of all of the guests, to my disappointment, I was looking forward to ribbing and ridiculing all of the guests for their inability to sum up the stage, the make various stages in 90 it. seconds. Make, make it a minute. Yeah, make maybe, a minute. maybe <laughs> 10 seconds. Um, well, Dan, you're about to roll down the start ramp. Are you ready?
2: Yeah, I think so. It's quite simple today.
1: You have 90 seconds, Dan Martín. Off you go.
2: Off the story of the Vuelta. Big breakaway, GC battle behind. Made more interesting by a little tough start, rolling roads, very aggressive at the start, would have been brutal in the, in the peloton. Can imagine it, one line attached, going constantly, and half the guys just wishing that break to go. In the end, 35 riders, something like that. Huge group went on the flat roads after the hilly section at the start. Inevitable that they were going to fight, out, fight it out for the stage victory. What wasn't well, what was a surprise was the crash, the fall of Remco Evanpool. How will that affect him in the next days, both mentally and physically? Especially with the loss of Julian Alaphilippe the other day or yesterday. On to the last climb. Every expected J. Vine just to ride away with it. Different type of climb and a lot of drafting involved on this one, which you saw in the G C group, which made it much less yeah, decisive. Obviously that group basically finished together and we saw an aggressive final with the breakaway. Ali Zheba being yeah, really quite impressive, but the one most impressive for Carapaz, because obviously he went on to win, what, incredibly well-timed attack, something that he's very good at picking his moment, intelligent rider. Behind, everybody kind of had a little dig at Remco, but this was more of a wearing down process. Wear his team down, wear him down, see if he was showing any weakness at all, which he wasn't, but we didn't see any of the favourites put in a big attack. so. Let's see. I think everybody's just trying to wear it, hoping that he's going to crack in the third week of the Grand Tour because, obviously, he's never done one. Excellent.
1: Just on the general classification, you mentioned, well, no one really um, took any time out of Remco Evanderpool or, or really managed to lay a glove on him. There were there were a few little gaps that opened up towards the end of the climb. So the five or the four that came in together were Evanderpool, Is how I now pronounce it. Emric Mas, Primoz Roglic, and Juan Ayuso, and then Superman Lopez. Um, just six seconds further down then carlos rodriguez who was well we talked about the reginald the lit up the, the the homeboy the local boy and um, he was he was that as well today and um, he lost a few more seconds having attacked earlier on tayo gegenhart and um, 17 seconds behind rodriguez so there were there were one or two changes but nothing that's really going to um, alter the outlook for the race over the next few days Remco's crash may end up being the big story of today, certainly with hindsight in a few days' time. But it was a big breakaway today, Dan. There's some interesting riders in there. We'll talk about a few of them later on today. And we're about to hear from one of them, well, who he's riding his first Grand Tour. We heard from him last night. His accounts of this first grand tour have been fascinating so far um james shaw as discussed last night he dropped down out of the world tour a couple of years ago down to continental level he climbed his way back up to world tour he was in the break he finished ninth so we're going to hear from him and prior to that well we're going to hear from one of My, one of our South American colleagues, who they're known for sort of live commenting at the finish line in the mix zone. And they were getting very excited, as you will hear, when Richard Carapaz came in to take his victory. After that, we'll hear from Primoz Roglic. Was it a good or a bad day for him? Remco, even main challenger, of course. And then, a rather detailed um account of the day from James
0: Shaw un país completo festeja con Richard Garavando la décima a etapa de la Vuelta España bien Richard espectacular en la locomotora del Carchi
3: Ah yeah it was longer uh quite long but uh I mean yeah it was it was fine huh? uh I was there and uh yeah up to the next gdays ah huh? I had a good feeling so yeah hopefully I can improve yeah, a bit because your team was pulling with Chris Harper as well with Rowan Dennis even uh, at the beginning of the climb what was the point of that year you were really trying to make this climb really hard oh uh, yeah I mean uh definitely uh, uh, we needed uh, uh I mean we are a bit behind so uh, we need to catch up uh? so uh, yeah he's uh still a long way but yeah uh was uh, actually yeah a good day then. A bit of drama out there on the road with Renko crashing, also Van Wielder. What did you see? Oh uh, yeah, they just slide uh, in front of me. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I also already did that things. I think uh, last year at uh, the same uh, start like this, I uh, was also not the best for the
1: uh, red jersey. <laughs> also the same <laughs> today. <laughs> oh, well, James, I just told you. Uh, well, after a very good day, you were ninth. Uh, 3 minutes down and your reaction was well where am i going to find those 3 minutes yeah i think
4: uh <laughs> i i mean I, I think potentially I could be in fractionally better shape no not 3 minutes better shape but uh i could certainly be in a little bit better shape and uh, um but i think i've also got to say like top 10 on the stage of a grand tour it's no hardship is it it's no bad thing you know <laughs> it's uh yeah it would, I guess it would be my uh career highlight to date potentially you know one of my best results i've also got to go to bed tonight and and look at it that way as well so yeah pretty tough for the day uh well, i don't know maybe 35 in the breakaway one of those days where the group goes and uh yeah when these opportunities come i've got to grab him with both hands because i say a rider like me doesn't always get a um a free pass you know i'm very much a uh A donkey. I tend to do a lot more for, uh, yeah, other people and things. So when an opportunity to top ten myself, come, I got to grab it. You know, I got to grab it both times.
1: Just tell me how you got into the break, and well, what a a nice feeling it was to realise that the break was going to (laughs) go.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, it sounds stupid. It wasn't intentional that I got in the break today. Uh, It was more um, that Rigo and and Mark got in because for this, for them, is is a finish they can win on. Um, so for me, it was I just cover the cover the moves here and there, just 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 keep the keep the pressure off their legs. So when it goes, they can go. And all of a sudden, I hear this screaming on the radio, and I'm like, "Oh man, what's going on?" Like, and then I'm rolling to the front, just you know, just trying to keep the pace. And the guys are like, "Go through, go through." And what's happening? I look back, and there's just a slight crack in the peloton, and I'm like, "All right, this is it." So. Pulled off, got got my turn done, the other boys come railing through and we start nailing it. Realised there was quite a few guys from Alperson with Jay Vine, they obviously wanted it. Uh yeah, UAE had a few guys with Soler, obviously they were pretty keen. Carapaz was there, he was pretty keen. He had he, been kicking a lot in the first, yeah, first 20-30 minutes. He, he wanted to he wanted to be in the break today. Um, so then, like yeah, the moment went, and it went out to a minute. I think uh, FDJ missed it, and they were like, right, we're chasing. And it went a minute, a minute and a half, two minutes, and then they just gave up. And then it went to seven minutes, ten minutes, uh, ten minutes. I think then Renko crashed. He did, yeah. And it went went out to twelve minutes. Then they pulled it back to ten, and they just sat it there. Once it's at ten minutes, and you <laughs> you're 35 guys, you know it's going to the finish. Um, so I was just sitting in, saving my pennies really. Knowing that I get to the bottom of this climb, I need as much energy saved against the guys like Carapaz, because there's no way, uh, there's no way I'm going to beat a guy like that. Mm. Not, not in the minute anyway. Maybe, you know, I've got a few years. Hopefully, got a few years to fit, hit my physical peak. So I've got to sort of try and give myself every possible uh, uh, advantage I can. And guys were not happy that I was just sitting on. You know, ah, Paul, do a turn because we, uh, we also have. Jonathan Caicedo in there. He's won stages of the Shiro and stuff. And I think people were like, right, you know, these... I mean, we, we weren't marked because, you know, those guys, you know, better guys than us, but they weren't happy for us just to sit on and do nothing. So we were getting a lot of stick for that. And I think, yeah, what did they expect us to do with guys like Carapaz and Jay Vine? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to take him to the bottom of the climb, am I? So, yeah, and you know, I was just trying to look after myself. Like, in that situation priority has got to be number one hasn't it you've got to look after yourself that's like say those i'm not capitalizing the best on my situation if i'm riding for other people helping other people that are going to beat me anyway am i so um it's time to be selfish i think you know i I think i don't think it's a bad thing for me to say that you know i think i put enough into the i believe i put enough into the team and i have done for other people as well to to on a day like today to just look after number one maybe so yeah no it was a good day all in all and uh, yeah where am I going
1: to find three minutes <laughs> well maybe it starts yeah. with getting down the mountain focusing on your recovery Yeah, and... <laughs> get,
4: getting down the mountain focusing on my recovery and maybe I'm just not that good
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, well it was a great ride today um, savour it on the way down because I guess you haven't had a chance yet cool. will do thanks good very much, much.
0: The cycling podcast at the 2022 Vuelta España, powered by SuperSapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success.
5: Our title sponsors, Super Sapiens, have their system of continuous glucose monitoring, which can be used to improve fueling and improve performance, ultimately. Uh, Sam Brand, who rides for Team Novo Nordisk, uses a continuous glucose monitoring system as a matter of course because he's a type 1 diabetic and when he's racing I want you to know what he's looking for from the data because lots of things can impact blood glucose levels, uh, fatigue um, how well someone has slept overnight for example, not just the foods that are being consumed uh, but also s- Adrenaline stress can have an impact on blood glucose levels. So I wanted to know from Sam what he's looking for when he's training and particularly when racing
6: Yeah, we have obviously a range and the range is similar to, to what you would classes of the performance zones on uh, On the super sapiens device. Uh, so I just tried to keep mine as level as possible um, that's basically knowing what expenditure I've put out and knowing what ex- like the opposite I need to put in. So fuel and all the expenditure, and I tried to keep it as level as possible. Obviously, there's a lot more uh, sort of outliers or uh, impacts that um, impact someone with diabetes blood sugar. So it's obviously adrenaline and all the other all the other. Sort of things that are, are, are on board in a race day. So it's just trying to keep that line as, as steady as possible. You know, it's not always possible. For those out there who've used Super Sapiens, you'll see that you have fluctuations. But on the whole, if you try to sort of level it out, it's that's trying to keep it in, in, in that range in that performance target. El
0: Diario Renko, the Daily Renko.
3: We can ride in defense mode today. I think that that's, that will be key today to ride in defense mode and uh, just not lose time getting in, just not losing time going into the weekend. Yeah, we just have to turn the page, keep looking forward. Uh, Madrid is coming closer every day, so uh, we just have to keep fighting, no?
1: Well, Dan, that was Remco Avonapol this morning at the start. Where were we this, this morning? Uh, we were somewhere I can't remember where we were. We were somewhere west of Almeria. What day is it? Is it a Thursday, Dan? Yes, I need help so with so everything so yeah. by this point in the grand tour. Yeah, I've got that sort of grand tour malaise, that grand tour amnesia that starts to take hold at this point. But that was Remco Avonapol sounding confident and relaxed as he has done every day before every stage start um at the finish it was a slightly different remco that we saw he there was a bit of a, a sort of conflab with enric mass mass asked him what happened with when he did crash today and remco was explaining that he hadn't he hadn't braked and i think his wheel had just slipped out yeah. but dan what i did notice was there was uh, well a hole in Remco's short so on his right hip and he was bleeding quite a lot. I think he also hurt his hand in the crash. Now, it didn't seem to affect him on the final climb, but what's your view on this? Uh, how likely is it to affect him over the coming days?
2: I think it just, obviously, it's a double blow with the loss of Julian out of Philippe yesterday as well, and probably his strongest ally in the team, not maybe on the bike, definitely on the bike, but also at the, at the dinner table. Julian has a huge... effect on the atmosphere when when you're in a race. And then with Remco, he's never... I don't really remember him having having to deal with adversity during a race like this. And he's in... Everybody's looking at him. He's the man to beat. And now he's not feeling 100%. Something that he's been feeling great the whole race, clearly. Add to that, he's got an easier day tomorrow, sprint day. But normally, you feel worse two days after a crash. And that means he's going to hit the mountain stage Saturday, Sunday, feeling the full force of that crash which was yeah obviously as you say quite heavy it didn't look like a too pleasant his injuries so it's uh it's just gonna be little things those doubts that play on your mind and yeah he's going into uncharted territory as well to add to that with the fact that he pulled out on stage 17 of the Giro last year so he's never done the third week of the final week of a Grand Tour before so that's another big question mark for him that yeah he seems he comes across as really confident and assured but it's only natural that he's, he could have some self-doubts creeping in especially when it's getting close to you know, winning a Grand Tour which is a huge achievement.
1: Dan what's your experience of the physiological process that we sometimes hear about after a crash? It doesn't have to be a big crash but we hear about a, a sort of adrenaline release. I've heard riders in the past use the 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 phrase or the term well this is a family show so I can't um, I'm gonna have to improvise here but uh, that crashes can be form some thinkers. Um that that you know, guys can be in great form, and they can have what seems like quite an innocuous crash, and then, hey, Presto, three or four days later, they find their form deserting them. Um, not always, but sometimes. What's your experience of that?
2: I think that's actually an Australian term for a traffic island, isn't it? As well.
1: But, uh... <laughs> <All> right, Okay.
2: <laughs> but the uh, no, definitely. I mean, it's it's a, it's a it's a massive mental. It can be a massive mental blow how he deals with it, but also. He wouldn't have been feeling the effects of that crash on that last climb today. And unless you've seriously hurt yourself, uh, like broken bone, serious hematoma. You you don't like, you don't really feel the crash, especially when you have the adrenaline of the final of a race like that today. He'll really feel it tonight when he gets into bed. And then tomorrow morning when he wakes up, that's that will be the big test. When he gets on the bike tomorrow and he, he starts to turn the pedals, he's going to be really stiff. And then an even bigger test on Saturday, obviously, because he's, yeah, obviously, it, clearly it could be worse if there was a mountain stage tomorrow. So he does have that one is, day. Is that,
1: is that the case, Then I've sometimes heard that the second day after a crash, I mean, it obviously it depends
2: on the severity of the crash, but you do sometimes hear that the second day is the worst day. Tomorrow will just help keep his body going and keep it moving and it's, it's lighter. That's, I think it will definitely be worse on Saturday for him. And also, yeah, it, it's, it depends how the stage is ridden tomorrow because it could be a really hard stage. I mean, they're often in the world of so these sleeper stages, the stages on paper look easy, especially at this point when there's not many sprinters around and stuff. And it's like it's a the, the there's a big contest for the breakaway. So yeah, it all depends on how tomorrow goes.
1: And Dan, we heard earlier from Primoz Roglic sounding relatively upbeat. I, I must admit, when he's coming to the mix zone, he hasn't had the the usual sort of fire in his eyes. Um, I mean, he's he's a deadpan character, famously deadpan, and we you know we've made a joke about it many times on the podcast. So he doesn't give too much away, but. Um, There there is something sort of embattled and beleaguered about Primoz Roglic at this uh, Volta a España. We keep hearing that well, from him that he hopes to get better, from his team that he hopes to get better and I think he is sort of inching in the right direction but he really is inching in the right direction. Um, What's been your impression of Roglic over the last couple of days, the last few days?
2: I, I think he's still relying on on Remco and even Enric mass getting worse over the next over the next week. I mean, he he knows that his form isn't going to see this huge resurgence, but it's really hard to tell when you're not there and you don't. We haven't obviously because of the breakaway being so far in front, we haven't seen a whole lot of the GC group. And with the with the camera, motorbikes are. I mean, normally you get a little bit of close up to see how the guys are pedaling and how they're moving on the bike, and you we haven't really had that too much of that so. It's um and today it wasn't the climb to to notice that I think he rode quite confidently the way where he was sitting in the group it was quite relaxed he wasn't he didn't feel the need to sit right on Remco which is so showing confidence he's just he's uh he's using the group to the best of it, like the, getting the best draft possible and yeah to put the guys in the front his teammates he obviously uh as I say he's they're banking on wearing quick step down. Yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see how, how he progresses. Obviously, it's, three minutes is not insignificant, but I think, yeah, it's probably been said before on here that this is. Everyone's going to rely on Remco having a bad day because the way his form is, yeah, nobody's going to take time out of him, man oh man.
1: Before we move on from the GC battle, I just wanted to ask you as well. Um, Enric Mass is a guy who gets a bit of a bad rap. I think he gets a bad rap from Spanish fans. He gets a bad rap on social media because he's, he's conservative. He's a very conservative rider. Sometimes he gets a bad rap with journalists as well because um, he, he, he has not always been the most affable guy or the easiest guy to deal with, the most amenable guy. Um, you were his teammates Tell us what. Well, we what should we know about Enric Mas that we don't know about him, and and how does that relate to the rest of the Vuelta a Espana?
2: Enric arrived on the scene as an incredibly promising U twenty three rider, obviously at Quick Step as well. And I kind of had this mentor type role at Quick Step during those years with yeah, Max Schachmann, even Julian, Enric, Remy Cavagna, and all. We had a really strong team, you know, Lawrence De Plus and. Yeah, Enric was labelled as the next Contador. It was just as Alberto was kind of fading away, like Alberto retired in 2017, I think. So he was really there to kind of take on the mantle from Alberto. And obviously that was that was made worse by the fact he got, I think Enric, did he get second in 2017 when Alberto was?
1: 2018. 20, 2018. Oh yeah but they they both kind of embraced this didn't they, they both really leaned into this both mass were any invitation to talk about contador and talk about the fact he was his hero he did it and contador yeah. as well um he would always kind of put his arm around mass at the finish line and and um it was it, it was very evident that contador was sort of grooming
2: him as his successor you can even see how the way, way enrique climbed then uh, now as well he's kind of he tried to mimic had Consodor's style. It was that type of thing. And I think he put just put so much pressure on himself with especially with which obviously then retiring and suddenly Enrique's the big Spanish G C had hope. It was like it and then moving to Spain Spain's team as well. I think it just became it, it kind of sent him a little bit introverted. to, to kind of and then that's why he came across this character that's maybe not amiable and he's a really lovely lovely guy and I think there's not many guys you have to be incredibly strong to to be able to be an attacking rider in this day this day and age and be aggressive and also willing to risk everything and there's not many guys who take who put these big attacks in it's only the it's the guys who win now and it's uh, yeah, you've only <clears throat> unless you're Taddy you don't seem to be able to attack, especially Tour de France or Jonas Vingegaard this year. So it's uh, yeah, it, it is quite harsh, but I think you're looking at one of cycling's yeah, historically biggest nations, they're desperate for uh, a new GC star in their big race. So, but they also want to be entertained, and it, right, it's 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 demanding, right? I mean, it's it's the same. You see the same in football with Barcelona and Real Madrid. Even if they're winning, they're not winning in the right way. And it's like it's this it's this whole well, yeah. But we want to see beautiful football, but also winning football. And it's the same in cycling, right? They they want to see drama and attacking racing, but also if he they want to makes, see
1: a flashing blade, don't they? Well,
2: as soon as he, if he makes an attack and then gets dropped, he'll get he'll get annihilated as well. <laughs> So it's a a, a lose-lose situation. The the insult that was
1: aimed at him by a fan and the video went viral a few days ago was, um, eres un paquete. You're, well, good for nothing, basically. And um, yeah, he, he does get quite harsh treatment. And He's Dan, uh, I also wanted to just briefly touch on, well, another former teammate of yours, um, a guy you probably know a little bit less well than Emmerich Mass, or you didn't race quite as much with him. Carl Frederick Hagen, the Norwegian rider riding for Israel, was in the break today. Now, this is a guy who came to our attention in 2019. Seems to come from nowhere, and he finished eighth in the Vuelta a España. He was riding for Lotto Sudal. And, um, well, he'd come. From uh, he had a slightly unusual background for a cyclist. Um, He'd won the under twenty three world championships in winter triathlon in two thousand and thirteen. What's winter triathlon? Is it sort of snowballing, sledging, and I don't know.
2: We actually got talking about that at training camp because he was supposed to be my right hand man at the Giro in. 2021 until he had a really unfortunate accident training. So I actually made a big effort at towards him at training camp to get to know him, and we talked a lot. So, and uh, he explained the reason I I found out about this whole world triathlon. I mean, he was two or three times on the podium as well. And he it wasn't his sport; he just did it for fun. And it was kind. Of, and he did one in his in Norway, and they he won it. And then the national team said, "Well, do you want to do the world championship? So he went and won that as well. And I think it was uh, it it's cross country skiing mountain biking on snow and then another form of cross country skiing i think it's it's something like that and he uh, apparently all the all the guys are such bad bike handlers and bad on the bike that he's 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 quite a good skier but he was still not in the front and then he just won it on the bike and then managed to sustain it towards the end it might even be running the last uh snow running or something last but the reason we got talking about it was it was actually in Andorra and I said to him do you know anything about this world triathlon World winter triathlon series and he said "Yeah, it's, I'm always the world champion <laughs> I was like what <laughs> so yeah but uh yeah really interesting guy but I was I'd never I don't think I raced with him and uh he's uh yeah it's I think he's just suffered really badly with that, with that big crash that he had.
1: Yeah, let, let's hear a little bit about that now, because I spoke to him this morning in the anticipation, in the hope that he might fancy going the breakaway today. And yeah, I asked him, well, basically what happened since 2019 and that big breakthrough when we all had quite high hopes that a new Grand Tour contender had emerged. Here's Carl Frederik Hagen this morning when you all came, you came to our attention three three years ago now at the welter your first well you had a uh, kind of unusual story you started cycling late and then straight away in the top 10 of a grand tour did you maybe think that it it was a bit easier than it's actually turned out to be professional cycling uh actually i never thought
3: things was easy of course i was a bit surprised that it went so well first Grand Tour I had but you also knew that my body and how I am as a kind of cyclist I'm a stage race rider I recover really well and I know that Grand Tours suits me well but also Grand Tours is more than just having shape and recover fast it's it's about staying on the bike it's about tactics it's about uh, be healthy all those things and uh, that year I I uh, yeah I had a good shape but also a lot of good luck I think this year my shape is almost the same or even better but unfortunately I crashed uh, on a very slippery road and then it's over so you know it's it's uh, a lot of things that uh, yeah you have to uh, really yeah have have luck in but uh, yeah also it's a lot of nice opportunities to go for stages you know the last two weeks and
1: I will, I will go for it, yeah. I mentioned all the bad luck you've had. I think there have been a few crashes. Um, have any of those, do you think, been down to the lack of experience? Because, as I said, I think you started mountain biking in your 20s and then road cycling even later.
3: Last year, my bad luck, that was... The big crash I had on training and that had nothing with the experience to do. I was just unlucky. I hit a pothole in the road. I crashed into the auto barrier and I dislocated my shoulder and I destroyed almost everything. Like break, broke uh, ligaments, tendons, muscles, uh, bones, everything. So I had to rebuild my shoulder. So uh, actually the, the doctor said almost my career could be over. I had to quit. So uh i was working super hard to just be able to ride my bike again and then be able to go in races and then start to fight for good uh, racing again and i show now especially last four months that i'm back on level and i'm really happy to to be able to compete uh, on this level even the 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 level of the peloton in the world Tour is just higher and higher and higher every year so i'm working really hard to be back and uh, and uh, i'm also feeling that i have I can do more, you know, I, I'm not uh, on my top, top level, I'm not on my way down, I'm still on my way up, so I will continue work hard and also more, more grand tours to come uh, later on uh, to fight for good GC, so yeah, I try to just stay positive and focusing on the things I can do.
1: Well Dan, there are a lot of riders like that in the peloton, aren't there, who have experienced a catalogue of mishaps and and. and bad fortune without anyone really anyone outside the kind of sanctum of their team really realising and um, yeah for a lot of riders it's it's a grind and it's a battle and it's uh, it, well, they hope it's going to end up being a triumph over adversity
2: it, It's also that second well it's the second difficult album isn't it you know it's like the he came out and had this amazing result in 2019 and then suddenly he's under the spotlight and I'm not saying that caused his crash but it definitely it raises that expectation and that pressure and then it's it's uh it does make results subsequent results different but yeah he's been very unfortunate and it, i think when i learned how bad that crash was i mean it was uh yeah i think he almost had his shoulder ripped off effectively his, his arm ripped off sorry so it was um yeah unfortunately I didn't get to to race with him but he's obviously got the motor he's got the engine and he's going to be yeah if he can get it's going to be a long road back to fitness, but he's obviously, on um, today's evidence, getting there. So hopefully next year he'll be, uh, he'll be back at the front of the races.
1: Well, Dan, he, he didn't quite get it done today. He didn't quite win the stage, but he did finish at 8th. A very creditable performance in it, and he hung on doggedly for much of that final climb to Peñas Blancas. And I did speak to him also at the end of the day at the finish line. This afternoon in Peñas Blancas, at Peñas Blancas, here he is again. We talked this morning about this being your first Grand Tour for two years. How much does it mean to you to be, well, fighting for the victory against guys like Carapaz today?
3: Uh, for me, it's, it's important because, yeah, I show for myself uh, that all the hard work I've done pays off and uh, more to come. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not on my top, top level yet, so I'm on a good level, but... Uh, a little bit more time, uh, maybe also later this Vuelta, I will be even better and even closer to, to fighting for victory.
1: Is it almost quite emotional knowing what you've been through? <laughs> if you start
3: thinking about uh, the whole journey and uh, from yeah 5th of March last year until now and you you take also the, the crash uh, one week ago, uh, then it's a bit emotional, but yeah, still, uh, I... I continue work hard, and uh, yeah, looking forward to the next stages as well. Well done, Shoot, shoot Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast team
7: car, the back of the pack, please.
5: That's Seb Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour, who speaks at least a couple of languages, possibly three languages, and Daniel Freib speaks several languages too. I think he's up to four that he would count himself as being fluent in. Actually, five, isn't it, if you count English. He's pretty good at English too. We can't all learn languages as easily as Seb and Daniel, unfortunately. But if you would like to learn a second language, Babbel might be just the thing for you. Babbel makes learning a language quick and easy because it focuses on natural conversation. The 15 minute lessons on the app are designed to be efficient and an effective way to learn a new language because the lessons have been created by more than 150 language experts. That means real people teaching you real world phrases, not computer generated phrases that actually won't come in use when you're abroad trying to speak to somebody in another language. Babbel's teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective across multiple studies and you can choose from 14 different languages including Spanish, French, Italian and German. Babbel's speech recognition technology crucially helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent too. And it's fun. There's a gameplay element to the app. There are also podcasts, videos and you can even join live classes with a language teacher. So start your language learning journey with Babbel today. Right now, Babbel is offering all cycling podcast listeners six months free with the purchase of a six month subscription. You just need the promo code cycling. Go to babbel.com slash play and use the promo code cycling to get an extra six month free when you sign up for six months. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash play promo code cycling. Babbel, language learning that works.
1: El ritmo de la vuelta. The Rhythm of the Vuelta. This is El Ritmo de la Vuelta, our daily rope swing through the dark undergrowth of recent Vuelta history. Sony mini-disc player tucked snugly into our bum bag, ribbons in our hair... As we look back to the official songs or at the official songs and the races to which they provided the mood music. Dan, I don't know why we'd have ribbons in our hair or why we'd have a Sony mini-disc player tucked into our bum bag. But um, that was the image that came to me. Today, Dan, we're going back to 1998. Partly because it was a cracking edition full of intrigue and partly because that year's race began in Córdoba, one of my favourite places in Spain. And I'll also be staying there tomorrow night. Alas, the official song that year was maybe the worst ever. The Eurodance Atrocity Up and Down by the Wenger Boys. The Wenger Boys were a quartet from Rotterdam who had gone to sell 25 million records and were voted the most successful Dutch band of all time by one major Dutch website in 2019. As I said, the Vuelta started down in Córdoba. The Festina doping scandal had almost brought the Tour de France and indeed the whole sport to its knees a few weeks earlier and there were reports before the Vuelta that some teams would transport all of their vehicles to Spain by sea to avoid passing through France. Festina were also racing at the Vuelta and indeed fielded the defending champion and favourite for overall victory, Alex Zula. It was a different team that ended up dominating the race, however, and certainly the headlines. On the climb to Zoret de Cati, uh, José María El Chava Jiménez of Banesto took the yellow jersey, which, as discussed a few days ago, would be replaced in 1999 by a gold one. El Chava's Banesto teammate, Abraham Olano, would soon replace him as the race leader. And the stage was set for a bitter controversy that erupted on stage 16 as Jimenez danced away to his fourth mountain stage victory of the race at Laguna de Behind, Olano clung onto his yellow jersey, but while he did, his wife Carmele was accusing Jimenez of treason on live radio. Olano's own words as he entered the Banesto team hotel that night were reportedly, we have a traitor in the team. He nonetheless held on to win his first and only Grand Tour with Jimenez taking third spot on the podium and another teammate likening the team or likening the victory celebration in Madrid to a funeral. Indeed, Alano had had enough of Benesto and Jimenez and Julie joined Once at the end of the year. We said it was a controversial Vuelta. Well, it was also notable for the fourth place of the controversial Lance Armstrong in his first Grand Tour since his comeback from cancer. Dan, uh, 1998 a bit too early for you? be following
2: no i i remember seeing jimenez i mean what an enigma really you know and it's i remember seeing parts of that race definitely and uh and obviously the the emergence of yeah lance armstrong as well it's uh yeah definitely remember that race which is yeah it's quite strange 20 nearly 25 years ago is it yeah.
1: It is, it is. Uh, make me feel very old. Dan, um, we said earlier that Enric Massey is not necessarily the most swashbuckling clim- climber. Um, Chava Jimenez was certainly that, swashbuckling. Uh, Richard Carapaz was pretty swashbuckling today and he he, well, he timed his move perfectly as you mentioned uh, earlier on. He's had a difficult Vuelta a España. Uh, he, I got the sense he hadn't prepared maybe as well as certainly his team would have liked. Carapaz was telling the press that he, he was in good form when he came here. He obviously didn't have the the form that was going to permit him to challenge Primoz Roglic and Remco Avonapol. But before the race, on the eve of the race, in fact, um, EF Education first, Easy Post, um, a team that you belong to in one of its previous incarnations, they announced that they had signed Carapaz for next year. And I just wanted to ask you, well, how do you think he's going to get on? How do you think he's going to fit in
2: there? Yeah, obviously that team's changed a lot since I was there. They've got a lot of South Americans on that team there. So it, I think the culture will be quite nice, whether that's a good thing for Carapaz after he's gone so well at Ineos. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how he adapts to a different approach, a different mentality almost, because I think it's very... Ineos, at least from the outside, is very businesslike, and then you're going into EF, which is traditionally being a more relaxed environment. His His racing style will definitely... has the potential to flourish under the ef management i think they've got a they were given the freedom and and support and maybe i think that's what he was craving he was looking to be a all all-out leader undisputed leader almost in every race he rides and if they can get all their guys firing on all cylinders and yeah working together they could really be a threat next year but has he done lived up to what would have been your expectations for
1: him at inniata i mean when he won the Giro in 2019 I thought we might be we might be looking at if not the the next dominant figure in stage racing then someone who was going to win multiple Grand Tours he hasn't he hasn't added any and obviously with the emergence of the Slovenians and also now Ava Nepal and, and others um, it's starting to look it's starting to look like it might be quite tricky for him to repeat that Giro success.
2: I think it's also down to people Obviously, I wasn't there, so you, I was only watching on TV at that year when he won. But I think people massively underestimated him, and there was a few times when he'd attack, and because they didn't really know who he was, it was he kind of even though he'd been fourth, four, I think he was fifth the year before, so he should have been afresh. But he still had this. Like, I, I personally that I didn't really. Acknowledge him as a grand grand tour favorite going into races, you know. So I think he uh, definitely played off that, and it's a very different position to be in when you all the time looked at, and it's you can afford to sit back a bit and and yeah, edge your bets and kind of yeah, you can save a lot of energy by not being surveyed. Whereas when you're one of the big favorites going to a race, you get a lot more media attention. That's fatiguing. You get a lot more attention in the race almost because. If somebody does see you out of position, the chances are somebody will attack you because they're actually actively looking to get an advantage over you. So,
1: he's not helping himself now by wearing a gold helmet and riding a gold bike. If you don't, if you want to pass unnoticed, my advice would be not to wear a gold helmet. I think his style on the bike
2: as well is pretty, pretty obvious now, isn't it? You know, it's uh, he's um, he definitely puts it all out there, and it's uh, yeah, what, what a he's just a really. I mean, as I said earlier, he, how he rode today was. It, it shows his intelligence, but I can't help feeling that he's also, it seems to be all the guys who've done multiple Grand Tours this year or two Grand Tours are really suffering in this race. And Enric Mass is the only one, I think, that's really, really going well after. But he, did he, he didn't finish the Tour de France, did he? I don't think so. And he didn't race for the GC no the he Tour, didn't. Tour de France. He didn't. That's where we're perhaps going in, the Grand Tours are becoming so hotly contested now where everybody's saying how every day is hard. We're going to go back to that what we saw a few years ago and what to be honest I prefer during my career it takes so much out of you doing a grand tour that you can't back up and do a second grand tour during the season even if you do the Giro rest and then do the Vuelta it just there's not enough there isn't enough time to recover and you're seeing it, even the guys who did the Giro this year they all seem to be a little bit like just lacking something lacking that freshness in the Vuelta
1: yeah, I mean, there was a lot of talk before this welter about the first week being vital and everyone having to come in sizzling hot if they were going to do well here. And a few riders obviously had that in mind. People like Jai Hindley, he was well aware that that's what he had to do, but has not really been able to execute it by his own admission, He lost... Um, quite significant time again today Jai Hindley and there are others like him um, as well. Dan, I said we were going to I think I said we were going to speak about m- another or multiple climbers in this part. Um, this morning, I know, well, Thibaut Pino has a, a very loyal and devoted following everywhere and there are probably quite a few of our listeners who are very curious about how he's been getting getting on in this welter a España. They probably saw Groupama chasing today when Group Groupama didn't manage to get anyone in the break and, and they they would have been right if they had guessed that that was because, well, Thibaut, um had earmarked today and had earmarked today's break um, as an opportunity for him and it, it didn't, it didn't come off for them. They didn't manage to pull back the break and um, yeah, not the result that he was hoping for. I did speak to Tebow this morning just to get a sense of how his Vuelta was going.
7: Uh, he said it was
1: going pretty averagely, um, he didn't start the way he wanted, um, he said I've had some good days, some less good days. But he also had a saddle sore in the Netherlands, which he's ha- had to compensate for. He said with um, sort of strange back movements, and and um, it's also hurt his glutes at times. He says, nonetheless, I mean, I said to him, "You, you seem happy." I've seen him sort of joking and, and laughing a lot, particularly with Rudy Mollard, who's a good friend of his, um, in the team at the World. He said, "Yep, yeah, you're right. I'm smiling." Um, he's got. We've got a good group here. He does often sound quite alienated from the the current emerging younger generation he said yeah you know it is harder nowadays to have fun at these races. He said yesterday, when the peloton went quite slowly, was a very rare opportunity to chat to people, to have a bit of a laugh, a bit of a giggle um, with with everyone. But um, he says it's important to keep smiling. I asked him also about Remco Venepoel, Nepal, sorry, and he said, well, yeah, I like him, nice guy. He says hello to everyone. He um, doesn't know him personally, but he thinks on his, he's well on his way to winning the Vuelta a España, even if the last... Weeks going to be going to be very hard for him now um Dan tebow's a rider who splits opinion, I think he splits opinion even in the peloton. there are those who think he's overpaid and um, maybe even a hypochondriac if they're being very unfair, very unkind to him i'm I'm very much in the in the tebow acolyte camp um I've always been a big fan um are you a tebow Pino fan yeah
2: I've always had a lot of time for tebow and and look, I think he just comes from a different generation he's similar to myself like it's five, six years ago when he was po- getting podium in the Tour, because it is that long ago now, believe it or not, that he was really, yeah, trying to win the Tour de France. You could have a life away from cycling. Whereas now you're seeing these young kids come in and like Remco, he's been on a, a training camp for the last six months to prepare for this welter, And they don't have anything else other than cycling. And that's that's not to criticize. That's just, it's it's just, a, it's, the sport's just changed. And the stakes are so much higher and people are willing to invest so much more just to be successful. And Thibaut enjoys being at home. He's I know he's got a farm at home and he's he enjoys working on the land and he's so talented that he didn't need to do all these crazy altitude training camps away from home and that he just enjoyed simple life so to speak at home and training in his Vosges mountains and keeping his routine and yeah people might say he's overpaid etc but not from what he, you look at his palm I think people often forget that this guy I mean he was best young rider in the Tour de France he finished once or twice on the podium it, like it's just uh as I say the cycling has just changed and he's uh he's finding his place in the sport now and he's probably he, it looks like he's recognized that he's perhaps never going to compete against these the the GC guys now so he can still be a phenomenal rider have win some big big races by going in breakaways and because he's still one of the best climbers in the world
1: sometimes dan you just wish with tebow when you ask him him how he's feeling i mean he, 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 that he would just say yeah not bad um quite good it's it's it tends to be well 90 percent of the time he thinks it's rubbish um he's got terrible legs hasn't got the the sensations, as he says, that he wants to have, and then there are those rare times when, well, he's absolutely flying, and we all see he's flying because he's winning. Um, but he seems to be, well, he, he we know he's very self-critical. He sort of self-flagellates.
2: It's a it's dealing with pressure, and it, he's, he he had the weight. It's very math, actually. You know, he had the weight, the weight of the French hopes. Him and Roman Bardet, they've kind of shared it, but for some reason, Thibaut seemed like the greater to receive the greater adulation the greater pressure and he he was the one that that they had earmarked to be the next French Tour de France winner and it was yeah I think that expectation perhaps got to him and he never as, I, as well as the sport changing I mean it's, it's difficult because obviously we can't we can't enter into the minds of these guys and we've only got I've had limited contact with them over the last couple of years as well but He's um, yeah. It's just difficult to. You can't. I don't think you can be critical. So he's still doing his best. I mean, say he can be quite negative. He can be perceived as being negative and just, but. You say that's just pushing away. It's it. Well, it's pushing away expectation, and the fact is, generally, when you wake up in the morning, you do feel rubbish at Grand Tour. <laughs> you know, it's like if you say you feel good on stage sixteen, generally you're not feeling good. You're just lying.
1: But he's also—I mean—one of the things that people like about him is his authenticity. Probably the main thing that people like about him is his authenticity, and um, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. If he—if he—if his expectations are high and he's not meeting those expectations, then he—he he will tell you that. Um, What he's doing is rubbish By his gauge Dan We're going to end this part By talking about another climber Um, Carlos uh, Rodriguez He was the homeboy today As we said the local hero The stage went through His hometown of Almunyacar 10 kilometers into the stage today And Well he has been One of the revelations If not the revelation Of the Vuelta a España so far He's riding high In general classification And this morning I spoke to his coach at Ineos Grenadiers, Jaime Arteche, and this is el encuentro el encuentro del día,
0: el encuentro del día, the meeting of the day.
1: Today is well, it's Carlos Rodriguez's day because we go through Almujikar. Just tell me how far back do you and him go? How how long have you known him? Being a Spanish rider, uh, I know
8: him uh, since he was uh, in the young categories. No, not personally, but uh, you follow him, no? because uh, uh, you can see that he was one of the riders. He was uh, yeah, probably winning everything in uh, when he was under 16, uh, in junior category. And uh, the most important races here in Spain, stage races, one-day races, uh, national championships. Personally, I met him first time in the Tour de France uh, when uh, he came to to see the team environment to, to meet with uh, Dave Relford and uh, and uh, we started giving having some uh, some relation in uh, 3 years ago no in the in the Tour de France and since then
1: it's been a yeah a good journey until here and i presume the contact came about because of his agent Giuseppe Acquaro who has a lot of riders with your team is that right
8: yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, he's working. He started working with uh, with Acuadro, and uh, and Acuadro thought that uh, Ineos could be a really good uh, environment for him, uh, for his development. And uh, uh, I have to admit that at the beginning uh, I wasn't so sure because uh, I know uh, here in uh, I was I was following uh, his uh, his training picks account uh, to see. How much he did until now and the races here in spain in junior category they are 60 80 kilometers so uh, i was a bit scared no and uh, i wasn't sure that if, if it was the best to, to jump to the world Tour category and uh, but uh, yeah uh, in general finally we took the decision that they uh, probably taking taking a uh, good care of him and uh, not putting any 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 pressure and try to to work the first two years to to invest on his uh, on his uh, volume and on his uh, adaptation to the to the category, it was more than enough. Uh, doing uh, around 30 day, 30 uh, race days the first year, around 50 race days the second year. So I think uh, it worked really well, better than I thought actually. And uh, and uh, now uh, we we plan for the third year to try to to have this. Um, quality improvement try to work a bit harder try to to have some results for him and uh, yeah again I think uh, we cannot we cannot complain no. so he's uh, he's showing a great performance uh, and uh and he's fourth in the in the gc of the of the Volta españa uh, he won a, a few races during the year in uh, pais vasco the national championships but also he's been a, a really good team player no. when uh, he has to work for for the others he he doesn't have a, he didn't have a leader mentality but when he has to be a leader, he also a really good leader, No calm, grateful. So, yeah, really nice
1: guy to work with. When you signed him, was it also because, well, to make sure that, for example, Movistar didn't sign him, to get in there early? Uh, yeah, at the end, probably,
8: uh, I was working in Movistar as well before, so uh, always... Uh, mentality here it's been that uh, this jump from junior category to 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 world tour category it can be too much no also here uh, all the riders normally they spend a uh, minimum one year in under 23 category because the continental level is not uh, is not really good and uh, and and uh, for sure also they were probably a bit uh, a bit scared of, uh, about this no now we can see also they have started uh, signing a uh, Junior riders, uh, because uh, it's the trend, no? In a in in a in a world tour, is try to to take riders as soon as possible, have a long uh, long-term contract, and uh, and work step by step, no? when is it?
1: Um, okay when is it right to take a rider straight from junior category and put them in the world tour and when is it not right what kind of athlete does it not suit I think it
8: depends it depends also how much they work uh, before and also uh, how they can absorb the workload no no and then it's also the psychological component. Not everyone is ready to come here and uh, and uh, and to train and to live under pressure in a world to level. So I think in uh, with Carlos I have to admit physically I was surprised how well he he was absorbing all the all the workload, all the volume, all the training, all the altitude expenditure, everything. It is like a sponge. He absorbed everything. But also, psychologically, I think he, he he's really mature, no? Uh, since I met him, it's like, uh, you are not talking with 18 years old rider, you are talking with 30 years old rider, at least with 10 years experience in a professional category, no? I think probably this is the most important because uh, a lot of riders physically, they can be ready to do this jump, but, uh, but probably psychologically not, and then uh, you can see, no? really good bike riders, uh, doing the step uh, probably too early and uh, stopping uh, with 20, 21 years old in cycling because uh, they have psychological problems and they are not ready for for this stressful world. If I was to look at
1: all of his physiological data, what would be the biggest strength and what would be the biggest weakness? Because he seems to be very well-rounded. He can recover, he can climb, he can time-try, he can do everything.
8: Yeah, I think... uh, He's um, fourth in the GC, we had the long climbs, we had the Punchy climbs, we had the time trial, Tintan team time trial, and it's fourth in the GC, no? So it seems that he doesn't have any weakness, no. But I think we can we can still work. I think we he, he showed also the previous years, no. In a, in a long sustained uh, efforts, he is really good. We saw it in the Tour de l'Avenir, and uh, also this time trial. I think it was uh, it, it was really good for him but still we have to work in uh, in a punchy climbs we have to work in uh, in a time trial we have to work in uh, in, in every single detail no i think uh, he didn't achieve his uh, his best but uh, but yeah but uh, i think every single detail counts at the end and uh, we have to work in
1: uh, in all the aspects of cycling and just last things i mean the other day in the time trial it was noticeable how well the team performed generally even with covid in Pavel's case but it seems like Dan Bigham's work has moved the team forward and you can even see in their positions have changed a lot of the guys have changed um, position do you would you agree with that, that that you have moved forward a bit in time trials as a team yeah I think uh,
8: this team always uh, has been uh, trying to work with now. so uh, so with Dan I think uh, we are pushing a bit more in, uh, in equipment in aerodynamic in position he's uh, He's uh, he's an engineer background and also uh, we saw uh, last week no ha- wh- what he's capable uh, to do with the CDA with. Uh trying to to gain but uh, uh, yeah with uh, with everything so i think uh yeah it's another in a step forward with uh, with him uh we are working more in the velodrome trying to adjust the the riders position and uh, he's working really close with uh, with our uh, sponsors no especially with the uh, um Pinarello. we have a new bike this year uh, with cask we are developing a new helmet as well uh, with the bioriser. so uh, he's working really close and uh, and I think uh, uh, yeah probably physiologically is not the biggest step uh, forward for the riders uh, they cannot produce a lot more but also we saw the other day how fast they went in general no with uh, with Renko doing uh, the time trial uh, faster than 50 five kilometers per hour, so I think uh, the, all the brands, uh, they, are, they are working so hard and, uh, and uh, we can see this in the in the peloton, not only in the time trial, also the road bikes, they are really fast, the, the wheels, the tubeless tyres, everything, no?
0: so I think uh, cycling is moving really fast. Science in Sport is supporting the Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Vuelta España. Science in Sport, fueled by science.
5: Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the Cycling Podcast. You can get 25% off everything at scienceinsport.com with the discount code SISCP25. And if you go to scienceinsport.com, you can also sort all of the energy products into categories according to when you want to use them, before, during or after your ride. Just go to the All Products tab and you can find exactly what you're looking for. If you're going for any long rides, I can definitely recommend the Beta Fuel 80, which is a powder which mixes up into a drink and keeps your energy levels topped up because, well, it gives you all of the carbohydrate that you need to get the best out of yourself. I can also recommend the Beta Fuel Energy Chews to supplement the drink. Uh, the Energy Chews are actually a new one on me, but I've used them for the first time recently. They come in a lemon or orange flavor and uh, they just give you an additional burst of carbohydrate and they're very easy to eat when you're on the bike. Go to scienceinsport.com and use the discount code SISCP25 to get 25% off.
0: La etapa de mañana, la cena de ayer. Tomorrow's stage,
1: yesterday's food. Well, Dan. The cena de ayer, the evening meal, um, yesterday I was with my colleagues Gregor Brown and Andy Hood, the Americans, and do you know what, I've... I've having a hard time remembering what i was eating because i was feasting, dan, on the success of on another fantastic victory by arsenal because i was watching very antisocially, i'm slightly ashamed of myself for admitting this. I brought my laptop to the dinner table and i was mostly consumed by watching arsenal beat aston villa. And we did have some tapas though and we did have a nice rioja, nicely chilled. Um i've become hooked this year, this summer on chilled red wine and it's difficult to go back. Once in hot temperatures, and once you started chilling your red wine, it was a lovely Rioja Crianza. I can't remember what the property was, but it was excellent. It was excellent. Um, Dan, tomorrow's tomorrow's stage. Um, it's a kind of transitional one of the, these very four. Sorry, these very difficult four days in Andalucia that we've got before the rest day. This is the easiest one. The one that might lend itself. Another one that might lend itself to a breakaway. But you tell us more.
2: Uh, I think. Trek will be looking for a sprint. I mean, it's a really good finish for for uh, Pedersen, with a yeah. It looks like a five k uphill, so we don't. I think it's gonna be. He'll be really optimistic of beating the sprinters on there, but it's it's, it's it's hard enough to beat the sprinters, but easy enough that he can make it and still be the strongest sprinter, and there's no. There's no real difficulty in the day other than the heavy roads of Andalusia. But I think what I have seen is the wind. I mean, the wind could be a real possibility tomorrow. It's quite high at the finish line. Whether it's going to be enough, I don't know. 20 to 30 k's an hour if it's gusting I mean it could be uh, it could make the stage interesting
1: could indeed Dan I have a sneaky feeling there might be another break tomorrow do you know what I've noticed that Trek segafredo have burned I mean it's not as though they've wasted their energy because Mads Pedersen is in the green jersey but they have climbers and we heard from Kenny Ellison yesterday whose welter would have been very different and who would have had more opportunities had they not done quite as much work for Mads Pedersen um, That's true. So, Maybe Matt's will go in the well, breakaway.
2: Remains- Maybe Mads Pedersen will go in the breakaway tomorrow. You yes. know? It's, it's a big group. It's uh, it's definitely an option, but I think it depends if they have any other allies going to a finish like this. It would have been a like the problem is obviously is the, the thing is there's a lot of teams who are not on GC really anymore. So there's a lot of riders looking for a, to win a stage. So it it always the last week of the world is often just a breakaway fest.
1: Yeah, and we've been waiting for this Fred Wright stage win that seems like an inevitability. And I would guess that he will be trying again tomorrow. Um, He would be probably my tip for tomorrow's stage. Um, Dan, I think that concludes the evening's entertainment. There have been no natural disasters, which I'm very relieved about. Um and well you'll be back on the podcast I don't know when I haven't got the ro- the rotor in front of me actually you're going to the Tour of Britain this weekend aren't um, yeah, you yeah I'm not sure I'm going um, to We fi- will. We'll, we'll, we'll try to find a way we will try to find a way so this won't be farewell well let's pretend it's not farewell for the moment and um, yeah I will get to work on the rotor tonight and um, we'll we'll sort something out. Dan, it's been a pleasure as always. Um, We're all very much looking forward to your book and well, we're looking forward to the rest of the Huerta España starting tomorrow with stage 13. So I'm going to thank you Dan once again and wish everyone a very good evening. Thanks Dan. Hasta luego.
3: The Cycling Podcast was created in
2: 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Byrne.
8: (laughs)
7: Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash audioboom.
5: Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Melina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows MediCal better than Molina. Visit meetmelinaca.com. Let's talk today.